What is a dungeon adventure? And how do you even get started making one? Is there an easy way for me to get into fantasy adventure gaming? Hi, my name is Che Webster, and this is Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about rediscovering your lost role-playing hobby. I've been thinking a lot recently about getting started with your first adventure in a fantasy RPG. Whatever your rule system, there are two other big elements that you'll want to create as you get started with your game. The first of those is the world. The second of those are the game structures that you want to employ. As a beginning dungeon master, I'd recommend keeping things simple. This episode is about creating a short adventure in a lightly sketched world using the dungeon crawl game structure. This is Season 3, Episode 4. Matt Colville's my inspiration for this. He's pretty famous for his Running the Game series of episodes on YouTube. He's focused on a modern approach to D&D, and he plays 5th edition. Um, and, of course, it's been incredibly successful for him to do that. The dungeon he introduces in his episode 1 is essentially a pretty linear dungeon. You go through 5 or 6 rooms in a straightforward order. And in a lot of ways, that is fine for uh, one shot. But for me, I always felt like I was already teaching new players to sort of stay on the rails. Alongside Matt Colville and thinking about this, I've been toying with the idea of a kind of a looser approach to my episodes. And so this is unscripted. (laughs) Um, And it's kind of like what I'm going to run here is an audio demonstration of how to put together a dungeon. In season one, there was an interview with Gavin Norman, who created BX Essentials, which is now old school essentials. And in that interview, we talked about getting started with a small dungeon and a small wilderness around it. For me, that's a great place to start for any gamer who wants to get into fantasy adventure gaming. This episode then is about creating a dungeon. We're going to use BX Essentials simply because Old School Essentials is only just kind of finishing its kickstart and will be a few weeks or maybe even a month or two in waiting. It's what I've got to hand. We're going to build a dungeon using the old school way that's suggested in the basic expert D&D rules from 1981. Why am I doing that? Well, first of all, it gives a game structure. Modern games like D&D 5e, they simply don't provide a specific approach to game structure, and they expect you to kind of work it all out for yourself, which leads to an endless line of products and YouTube videos and, you know, podcasts and all sorts of things, blog posts, whatever, of people explaining how they do it. Now, actually, the original game came with a fundamental game structure. 1974 introduced the Dungeon Crawl, and it's the oldest and it's probably the most reliable approach to play. And lots of people sort of dismiss it these days as it was some kind of archaic and sort of terrible thing. But in truth, it does the two things that a game structure has to do. As a player, you've always got an option. There's a sort of default action. And that means that is pick a direction and go there. The second thing it gives you is a, basically a structure for when the players go in a particular direction, how you're going to go about resolving that. Basically, if you want to know a lot more about the Dungeon Call structure, I'd suggest that you go back to Season 1, Episode 5, Why the Mega Dungeon, because I explained it there in a lot of detail. This approach to gaming is a lot of fun. It's also a really good counter to believing that prep takes a long time. 
The last thing I plan to make sure I include in this is a non-linear approach to Dungeon. What I mean is, for simplicity, Colville and John Four and other writers out there, they encourage something called a five-room dungeon approach or you know a very kind of straightforward dungeon approach. The five-room dungeon is kind of an entrance with a guardian, a puzzle or a role-playing challenge, a trick or a setback, a big climax, and then reward and revelation. For me, this has two big drawbacks. First of all, it tries to manufacture a climax, which I think is just kind of like a not-required element in gaming. And secondly, in trying to get to that climax, it tends to encourage a very linear design. You know, you go to room one, and then you go to room two, and then you go to room three, and so on. If you watch Matt Colville's first episode, that's exactly what he's teaching. And yeah, that can work. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's not what I'd do. As you'll see, the old school approach to the design doesn't approach the dungeon with any kind of agenda, really, and instead it offers a dungeon building process that is, for the dungeon master, a game in and of itself. So let's get started. Here I am, I'm sitting at a table in my front room, and I've got a few things around me. So first of all, I want to talk about what I've got. I've got a copy of the BX Essentials Adventures and Treasures book, which I have a printed copy of. Um, as I said, Old School Essentials is the, the game to get in the coming weeks and months. But this is what I have to hand. And I'm turning to basically page three of that, Adventure Scenarios. Um, the first part of this book basically has some little sequences on creating wilderness, base towns, dungeons and wilderness. Uh, also stronghold encounters so lots of cool information from a bx perspective to be honest with you i don't play bx right now my campaign that i'm currently running is using castles and crusades but like so many modern games cnc doesn't really come with game structures kind of baked into it and so taking something from bx and using it is really easy and that's what i intend to do in my own campaign along with my book i've got my dice i've uh, got my dice bag here um and I know that I'm going to be using the dungeon page, so I just need basically D6 um, and uh, D12s. Um, and just looking at the pages here, that looks like my idea. So I'm just going to grab a couple of dice out. Um, D6 and... Yeah, it's always fun, isn't it, rummaging through your bag. Uh, and not very interesting on air, I'd imagine. So I'll probably you know, want to cut this bit, but hey, let's go with that. What am I at? There's my rubber. Eraser um, and a D12. That looks like a D12. There we go. Right. Um, stick those to the side for now. Alongside that, I have um, a piece of, or a, couple, a little pad, there's only a few pages left on it, but a pad of um, squared paper. It's quite small. I've got an A4 sheet with quite, I suppose there must be about 5 mil squares on it. Let's measure them with my ruler, the other thing I fit my table. Uh, what are we looking at? Oh no, around about seven mil squares. Um, so that's kind of, I'm gonna use that for a dungeon. This is a small, we're gonna potentially do quite a small dungeon design. So that will be fine. A ruler, because I don't know, I just feel like if I've got one to hand, I'm safer. And then my bag of pens, pencils, and other things. Um, I'm using a lot of Micron, Pigma Micron pens, which, um, Basically, I got that idea from Dyson Logos, who's the best mapper in the whole universe, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I also got a one of those uh, mechanical pencils. I find these to be very useful um, when I'm when I'm drawing, um, and that's probably what I'm going to start with. 
Good. So I've got my equipment basically, um, and now it's get started. So um, I'll just start by looking at the first pages. So we're going to page three of Adventures and um, Adventures and Treasures. And the first step in this, actually, I'll read this. The first step in designing an adventure of any kind is to decide on the type of scenario. This is the hook that draws the player characters to the adventure site and provides a background theme that the referee can use to tie the location together. The scenario drives the referee's choices of specific traps, treasures and monsters to be placed in a location. And the following examples may be used for inspiration. And there are 10 examples. Um, so, and then numbered, which is interesting. So, you know, do we want to pick one or do we want to roll one? Um, I should have grabbed a D10, shouldn't I? Let's do that. Um, yeah, I have a D10. Right, so I'm going to roll, actually, um, and see what we get. So I've got a six, which is performing a quest. It says, a deity or powerful NPC, e.g. a king, sends the PCs on a quest. This may involve recovering holy or magical items. All right, so that gives me something to sort of hook in on it. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my um, piece of A4 um, mapping paper and I'm just going to scribble um, the note quest. Um, and I guess what I'm going to do next to that note when I actually figure it out is put what specifically they're looking for. So we're looking at perhaps a, a holy or a magical item as our target. At this point it occurs to me that I want to say a couple of things. First thing is that hook for me is going to be out there in the setting. Um, in, if I put this adventure into my setting, I would create three clues um, about this particular um, dungeon. So I might have one of those may well be somebody is trying to hire a bunch of adventurers to go on a quest for this thing. That's the thing in, in the book here, the deity or powerful NPC or king. Um, but I also going to want to put two other clues in there and there's two reasons for that first i very 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 strongly believe in the idea of the rule of three if you want the players to come to any kind of conclusion in your setting and your game world um, about anything at all you probably need to throw in three clues that means that they are really at some point going to pick up on those clues and hopefully put them together and realize once they've got two or three of them that this really is a thing they could do come to that conclusion um if you don't do that, if they uh, sort of just completely ignore the uh, NPC, you know, look, putting that quest out there, then, you know, there's an element of wasted prep, I suppose, that this adventure's out there and they're never going to find it unless they just randomly stumble on it. So for me, what I'd like to do is put three different hooks in. And until I've done the adventure, I can't design those. But I want to throw the idea out there that you could think of two other ways in which they could find out about this particular quest. So if we are looking for an item, for example, maybe there's a bit of lore they can discover, a little bit of legend they can hear about. A bard somewhere tells a tale which includes this particular um, item. I Right now, until I have an adventure, it's really hard to come up with those ideas, so I'm going to leave that uh, hanging. The other thing I wanted to say was that with a quest, it's very important for me to feel that the players could take it or leave it. Um, I'm not railroading them. Now, I know there are going to be people out there going, well, what am I prepping this for if you're not going to play it? Well, actually, this episode, I think I'm encouraging you to do your first quest. And I think I am encouraging you to dangle that carrot really firmly in front of their nose and pretty much say, the game tonight is doing this quest and then going with it. But within my own world, 
actually what I create is lots and lots and lots of potential um, adventures and I let the players choose if they want to take any of them or none of them and if they want to do their own thing I'm going to have to spin stuff on the fly but that's how I approach running my game anyway back to designing a quest because I kind of rambled off in another direction there so we've got performing a quest um, as our adventure scenario flipping over the page then we're now into designing a dungeon step one choose a setting the central location of the adventure is often a dungeon of some kind, and the referee should decide on the basic form and structure of the dungeon and can begin to come up with ideas for the main rooms or areas. The following table may be used to decide the basic form. Note the may there. You don't have to. You could choose something. Um, it's a D6 table. I'm going to roll. Um, I've got a five. It's a temple. That really appeals to me. So I'm going to make a note. Temple. And now, if I go back to my quest, do you remember it was some kind of quest for an item or a holy or magical item? I'm thinking holy relic time. So quest for a holy relic of some kind or item really appeals to me. Okay, um, I've got that uh, basic idea and it's going to be a temple. All right, next uh, step two, choose monsters. Based on the selected adventure scenario, page three, which we just did a minute ago, and the dungeon setting, now what we just did, the referee should decide what type of monsters inhabit the dungeon. Monsters may be selected from BX Essentials Monsters or other monster books that the referee has available. The referee may also wish to create new monsters, but especially for the dungeon, or to alter standard monsters to tailor them to the location. Right, this is where you start melding stuff to your world, I guess. Monsters. Okay. Temple. And I'm thinking ancient relic. Now, in my world, I've got a kingdom. Um, it's kind of like a very British medieval style theme, English medieval style theme. And there is a wall at the northern end of my kingdom, uh, which is a bit like Hadrian's Wall as my inspiration. It kind of goes across the top between what is essentially on the east side, there is this huge kind of rend in the ground, uh, chasm type thing, which over time has become filled with water, which people kind of stay away from and which anchors the um, eastern side of the wall and then it goes all the way across to the um, western border where basically there's um, another kind of physical barrier and what you've got across the territory is this near straight line wall that goes across this line of hills below the hills are the kind of nice country the plains and farmland and everything else of this, this kingdom and that gives me a borderlands if you like i've got kingdom behind me the guys are going to start in one of the towns on the, along the wall and there is this kind of uh, barbarian lands to the north okay now those barbarian lands are inhabited for the purposes of my campaign they're inhabited by a, a mix of human barbarians okay so tribes that um kind of uh, fight for resources out there but also orc and goblins um and potentially other creatures and monsters and I'm kind of thinking what we might have here is um, some ancient temple out in the in those borderlands somewhere which has become infested. Now, I'll be honest with you, starting games, the go-to is goblins, isn't it? That's what Matt Colville does in his first game. And you know what? Goblins are an easy thing to get your head around. And it's kind of the first thing that pinged in my mind. I like goblins. I'm like Colin Green. I like goblins. But I'm also thinking I like undead, and I'm wondering whether I want to actually have a closed temple with lots of undead in it, because I like skeletons, and I like 
um, that kind of stuff. So I think, you know, I'm going to go with the undead idea. And I'm going to do that on the assumption that if I'm creating um, an adventure, a dungeon that is about going to an ancient temple to find some holy relic and bring it back, that I'm really appealing to clerics. Um, and other religious type characters in the game. I don't know if we're going to end up with a cleric in my party right now. There certainly isn't one in the school kids party, which started um, a few days ago, uh, as, of, as of the recording of this. Um, and I have yet to discover, because I'm recording this before our new campaign starts, whether my other players will have that in their party. But nonetheless, this is the quest I'm going to create. So... I think what I'm trying to get across to you here is, you know, don't have any particular preconceptions. Um, I'm going to create a little dungeon and put it in my setting and, you know, hook, try and hook the guys with it. But in the end, if it doesn't get used, this is for fun. And also, you know, you can steal this, I guess, and use it for yourself if you want a starting adventure. So choosing monsters, I'm going to go with skeletons because they're nice low-level creatures. They're nice and easy. The only drawback is going to be that cleric will probably be turning them left, right, and center. Um... But, hey, that's kind of the way it goes, isn't it? So, choosing some core monsters for this. Uh, now, what should I do? Should I put something else in there with the skeletons? Should I have, perhaps, some kind of other more dangerous spiritual being? Or undead being? Hmm, that's kind of something to think about. Um, now, if I just go quickly across to the dungeon encounter tables on page 8, there is a list there of good level 1 creatures. It includes a skeleton. Looking down that list, I can see acolytes, I can see beetles and uh, dwarves and gnomes and goblins and all those kinds of things. If I go to the second level table for a kind of super challenge, what do I see? I see zombies, I see ghouls, okay, um, and these are good suggestions for something, you know, scary in that dungeon. And if I really want to push it, I go to the level three table, I got whites and thools and other such things. My feeling is to put something genuinely horrendous and scary in there, but make sure the guys, you know, have a way of of um, perhaps avoiding that encounter or overcoming that encounter. And with that in mind, I'm just going to go and stop a second to go and check something in my CNC rulebook. I'm aware there's going to be a few people listening to this who will be tutting at me now because they think it's a really bad idea to kind of try and match the challenge to the heroes. And generally speaking, I don't worry about that so much, but it has led to some pretty horrendous uh, total party kills and other things by not thinking about it. I'll be honest with you, all I'm trying to do here is make sure that if I include something like a white, which I really would like to include in this game, that it's actually going to be possible potentially for a cleric to turn that creature and it's going to be possible for them to deal with that creature now if i put a white in um, this adventure then we are talking about a significant challenge for first level characters here are the things that we're going to need to think about if i look in castles and crusades monsters and treasures i find out that a white is a four hit dice creature which means in this game whenever you're doing stuff to turn undead that cleric has to make a wisdom check and score, assuming they've taken wisdom as their prime, um, a 16 or more to turn it in the first place. So there is a chance, it's not a big chance, but there's a chance that a, a good level one cleric can come in there and get lucky and turn the white and end that potential threat instantly. 
but we have to assume that won't happen. We're looking at, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking I've got an energy drain, drain ability. If you're reduced, uh, white attacks you and you, you lose a level. And if you're reduced to zero, I presume, and I will need to check this, but I presume the character dies. And then from that, a human victim killed by the white's energy drain can be brought back to unlife as a white under the control of the slain white. So what we're going to be doing here is potentially killing characters if they can't handle this. I did think and did wonder whether it could only be affected by basically magical weapons. And I'm looking here in combat. It says whites are only affected by physical attacks using magical weapons of plus one or better. And again, new party is not going to have that weapon. So this could be a really dangerous choice and it could be a game ending choice and too much. On the other hand, it would be a really cool challenge. And a part of me wants to put it in, a white in, as a potential nasty, big, horrible monster, simply so that I can also put in a plus one sword for the heroes to find and use, and perhaps put in the hand of, or plus one weapon of some kind anyway, um, put in the hand of one of the heroes to actually slay this creature as an option. And I think that I like that. That excites me as a GM to make things dangerous. What I'm going to have to do, though, is in the dungeon, I'm really, really, really going to have to think carefully about you know, what goes in in terms of clues, that there is something far worse than skeletons down here. So, choosing my monsters, I guess I'm going with skeletons, and I'm going to have a white. And that's terrifying, isn't it? Next step, map the dungeon. Okay, so typically dungeon maps, it says here, are drawn on graph paper with a scale of 10 feet per square. The overall shape of the dungeon, the structure of the rooms and connecting passages will be determined by the dungeon setting. So what I'm going to do is, rather than bore you on air by kind of describing what I'm doing, I'm just going to draw a map. Then I'll come back and give you a quick kind of taster of what I've drawn and I will stick the map on my blog ubiquitousrat.net uh, with a link from this particular episode to that um, so if you can have a look if you would like okay so I've been working quickly and I'm not sure how logical this entire thing is but I tried to bring some thought to it so I started with a central chamber that is on my map about 70 feet square in the middle of which is a massive statue on a sort of series of four from the north, south, east and west side. You've got steps that go up to this statue. Okay, and that will be the statue of the deity this temple is dedicated to. I haven't yet decided what that will be. I'm kind of really tempted to do blind justice. I kind of really like the idea of perhaps the um, statue having this sort of female figure with the bandages across her eyes and the scales in one hand and a sword in the other. And the sword could be magical. And could be something that is in and of itself a you know really powerful thing. Whilst I started to work on this, um, then I added around that kind of structure. So um, with the central temple having entrances from the north, south, east, and west, and I'm thinking some fairly ornate doors into some chambers on the north, south, east, and west side, which about 30 feet by 40 feet, which have double doors on the outer sides of them, and come in the inside with a 10-foot tunnel between the outer kind of courtyardy bit or the outer room and the inner sanctum and I realized that I wanted to put doors in those four little tunnels that run in so that's um and that's to sort of allow for a little bit of sort of locking them up and securing the inner bit and then around that I've built um essentially a square structure or roughly square structure which is from the uh 
sort of central temple outward, perhaps 60 feet out. Um, and I can see a small, you know, I'm sort of thinking a small squat building. I'm thinking perhaps it has kind of square sides and then a big dome over the center uh, with a statue above. And of course, the dome itself, I'd like it to have a hole in it. Um, that's something that a lot of temples in the east have. Uh, the idea is that the, the prayers can go up to the gods uh, and be received, but also it becomes a really cool potential entry point for anyone who's clever enough to know this. And um, as I was drawing this, I then realized I wanted a walled courtyard around it. So there isn't much space between the outer wall, which is 10 foot thick, um, and the inner kind of wall, the inner structure, about 20 foot around, apart from on the south side of the building. Um, and I've decided that um, I, I wanted a kind of a garden there. So I put six trees uh, spaced out either side of a gateway. And then I realized I wanted more than one entry to this. I don't want it just to be coming through the main door. So there are two sections of the outer wall that are ruined. There's one on the south wall, which is visible as they approach. And there's one on um, the west wall, which is perhaps it means if they go scouting around, they will find it. And that will be cool. And then this is the point in which I suddenly realized I really do want goblins. So whilst I was talking about skeletons and maybe putting a white in here, I realized that I wanted to stock this place with goblins. I wanted the place to be taken over by a small tribe or group of goblins who have kind of taken up home and residence. And I also realized when I was designing this, I sort of made the structure so you could go all the way around in this big courtyard. This is inspired by the uh, going to the cathedral in Norwich, actually, where I grew up. Um, and there is a kind of like a large a covered walkway where the monks can walk around the central garden on the outside of the church. And I kind of uh, like that idea of a big kind of covered walkway that goes around. It's 10 foot wide and kind of goes all the way around the building and then one wing of the building we've got like uh, places for monks to live and slightly posher places for higher priests to live and then on the eastern side of the building we've got places for meeting places for eating kitchen and all that kind of stuff a few storage rooms and things and i just kind of try to keep it really simple so that's my basic map structure done and um from here what we need to do is stock it what I did do, um, because I suddenly realized that a uh, temple is not likely to be one level, is at one end of the courtyard on the west side, there is basically there's a, a bricking off of that court. You can't go all the way around. And at each end of there, there is a set of stairs going down. And I placed a set of stairs going down on um, two places, so you've got two ways down to the lower level. And I'm thinking that the lower level is where the real nasty, the white is, but also perhaps where the relic has been stashed away for safekeeping. Now at this stage though, I just want to kind of focus on the, the first level and share my thoughts with you. So next we're on to stocking. In BX Essentials, after Map of the Dungeon, it says each area, room or cave of the dungeon should be numbered. So the area on the map can easily be cross-referenced with a description of its content. And then stock the dungeon is step four. The referee should note down a description for each numbered area from the map. The description should note any monsters, traps, tricks, treasures, and special magic effects that are present, including the possibility of patrols in the area. Generally, the level of danger and the amount of treasure in a dungeon should be suitable for the level of PCs. Um, and additional descriptive details for each area may be noted. Now, obviously, this is the point where prep starts taking time. And now we can do these 20 minutes or already 23 minutes, something like that we're coming up to. And... Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually stock. I just wanted to share one thing with you because I don't want to record the entire process. I'd like you to go away and perhaps do your own map and do your own stocking and realize how easy this is. 
But also, I wanted to um, avoid spoilers for my players. I'm, I'm doing this bit of prep, and I'm not going to throw it away. I'm going to put this in my campaign. But uh, beyond this, I don't want there to be any more spoilers. There's plenty enough as there is for the people listening to this who play with me. Um, but I do want to talk about page five, random dungeon room contents. Now, here's the key. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to select some treasures that go in this dungeon. So I am going to select the holy relic or item that goes in here, and I'm going to choose a really cool magic item. I'm also, I've already said, I'm going to put at least a plus one weapon in here, which the heroes could potentially loot and then use to overcome the really bad nasty whites that I want to put in the lower level. What I want to do as well is I want to point out that I'm going to sort of select and place a few key things, and there are a few real kind of areas that I, straight off the top of my head, I know I want to place. But there is this thing called the random dungeon room contents, and it's on page five of Adventures and Treasures from BX Essentials. And it's really, really cool. It's just a page. You've got a table, okay, D6 table, and you roll on it, and you've got empty rooms on a one or a two. You've got monsters on a three or a four. You've got five is a special room. Okay, and there are some example specials. There's sort of nine of those. And then there's a trap. And there are some examples of some traps as well. Um, so if you get a, a monster, then you can go to the encounter tables on page eight and kind of randomly design something. You know, I said I was looking at the dungeon encounter tables earlier. Well, you can roll on those and see what you get and for level one and level two and so on and so on. And then you've got kind of a chance of treasure on the other side of this table. So um, I've never been entirely sure whether you roll twice um, or you just roll once. An empty room has a one in six chance of treasure. A monster has a three in six chance of treasure. A special has no chance of treasure. And a trap has two in six chance. But um, when I did my very first dungeon, I actually rolled once on the contents and then once on the chance of treasure to mix that out a little bit. And that was kind of cool. I'm not sure if you're meant to do that. But there you go. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go away and stock my dungeon. Um, I'm hoping that what I've sort of outlined here is kind of showing you this is a really straightforward thing that you can do without too much stress. And I hope it's not too rubbish as an episode. It's very, very unscripted. Um, from this point on, I'm not going to spoil any more of this adventure that I'm writing. What am I saying? What I'm saying is kind of, you know, give yourself a very simple premise for an adventure scenario if you're stuck, there are 10 of them in BX Essentials. Choose a setting, okay, some kind of broad kind of idea. Choose your monsters that you want to put in that dungeon, your key things. Do a map and don't worry about the, you know, how that's structured. My map is completely non-linear. There are, you know, tunnels, lots of ways in and lots of ways around this that I'm going to leave to the players to explore. I don't know yet what delights will be in every room because i'm going to roll quite a lot of them on the random dungeon room contents table i'm going to place several things specifically that i want there to be and that are interesting and i'm just going to randomize the rest and i reckon having recorded this bit which has taken nearly 25 minutes and by the time i've done it it'll be about maybe an hour of prep and i have an adventure ready to go and then all i need to do is think up some hooks to sort of draw my players into it Put the hooks in my campaign and let them go. Of course, if this is your first ever dungeon, just sit down with the guys and go, hey, guys, I've got an adventure. You arrive here. This is the situation. This is what you're trying to do. Off you go. And I guess my example dungeon is already looking like it's going to be at least a two-level dungeon. 
I could be, if I'm going to be fair to them, I suppose, if I wanted to be really by the book, I could make it a three-level dungeon and put that white on the third level. And that's where the relic's going to be. But um, I don't want to spoil this anymore. And I don't want to ramble anymore, so I'm going to leave it there. I don't know if that's of any use. I really hope it is. Like I said, it's a pretty experimental episode. You'll have to let me know what you think about it. Is it any use? I don't know. I hope so. Coming up, I have a call-in from Joe the Lawyer from his Not-So-Wondrous Imaginings podcast. Joe's called in and left three messages, which I'm going to edit together. If you know Joe the Lawyer, you know that there might be the odd expletive. I want to give fair warning. He's been very good, um, and it is pretty cleaned up, but you know, just so you know. The other thing to say is he's already calling in and uh, on his phone or something, and it's not great reception, but what he's saying is cool, and he's responding to... The episode a couple of back about 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons. Let's listen to Joe. Hey, hey Joe Lawyer, man. Let's listen to your uh, latest one with uh, what's wrong with 5e. Um, you know, I think you said it well that the, the problem really comes down on the DM. The DM's got to do a lot of learning ahead of time. You know, like I said, you don't have to know everything. You just have to know more than them. <laughs> That's the hard part. You know, because they got... You know, six different classes at the field. They got to know what they all do, how they all interact. Plus, if you got classes going against classes that they've never played before, you got to buff up on those classes, right? So you got to know all the classes definitely. Then you got to know um, how it all interacts. And uh, I mean, just I'm not, I'm not even talking about your own campaign, just the mechanics of what might happen. You know, so that comes with time. Um, that just comes. You know, I've been doing like three years now, and, uh, and I'm just, I'm just finally feeling comfortable. I think you know, just playing the, all the various games and whatnot. Um, one more coming up. I mean, I, I've called it good enough D and D, vanilla D and D. Yeah, you know that's pretty much it. Here's what I'm thinking though: is that I have not had characters really go beyond like six level ish. Well, my thing, I, I, I'm wondering, I'm curious if anybody else really has really explored and settled into and played a lot in the higher levels. Um, I don't mean along the these adventure path type things they give you, where you. You know, talk to a dude, you level up, you talk to another dude, you level up. That kind of, I mean, like, really settle down and play the fucking levels. Because I, I suspect that it's getting more complicated and more crunchy as I go here. And I suspect it's going to get a lot harder. I think that's where the game may not necessarily break down, but just lose its allure for me. Um, it, I hope it doesn't happen. Hope it gets stays smooth, but I just think it's going to be grindy and crunchy and whole lot of crap to keep in mind you know what i mean i don't, I don't like that so anyway i'm curious if anybody else has experienced that later all right i lied third one what i don't like about it <coughs> not to do with the system or anything like that the fucking books suck they're falling apart man i'm on my second player's handbook i got pages falling out of the monster manual like big chunks uh, i mean jesus how come my ad and first edition player's handbook is still like pristine after 40 years of you know beating around on it and this one I tried to take care of because I'm an adult now. I don't beat around on my books anymore. And it's falling apart. They should have done a better job in the books. Later. Do you get the feeling that Joe's a little bit annoyed about the quality of the D&D 5th edition books? <laughs> nice one, Joe. Thanks for calling in. Brilliant. I'm going to pick up on a couple of points that you made. First of all, I think if you're playing like D&D and other games that have, especially sort of advanced edition Dungeons & Dragons, I think if you're playing that on an ongoing basis, like you said, you've been playing for three years and now you're sort of getting used to all of the kind of, you know, connections between classes and how they impact and affect each other. 
but you're still not got beyond like level six and you're kind of worried that it's going to break down when you kind of get to there i think that if you're playing a long-term game like that then dungeons dragons and other kind of fairly detailed rule systems of course you've got time to learn them and get used to them and get comfortable with them and that's fantastic i guess one of the reasons why i wanted your message in this episode is because i'm talking about getting people started and i think we just got to keep it simple um, I said it in that episode and I'm saying it in this and going back to sort of BX Essentials today and just looking at adventures and treasures and like building my dungeon I suddenly realized how straightforward this can be and I guess what I'm encouraging people to do is like take your rule set of choice maybe start with just the basic classes of things the basics of things and start playing and you know what actually keep playing I'm trying to get into the habit of saying no to myself when I want to go and change system. I'm trying to get in the habit of saying no to others about changing system. I want to play this game and keep playing this game with these characters because this is cool and it's exciting. Anyway, I'm ranting. Thanks, Joe, for calling in. And yeah, I'm with you, man. Um, those books, they do tend to fall apart. I'd like to give another shout out to the patrons who support the show through the generous support via the Roleplay Rescue Patreon. As we approach the 20 supporter mark, at which point we hit the second goal and I'll record an episode on gaming with teenagers. As we approach that point, I want to admit that without these people, I might well have been tempted to stop podcasting. Having people who are willing to put one, three or five dollars behind their encouragement, behind their kind words, is to me amazing. Here is the Roleplay Rescue Roll of Honour. Swordbearer Mark Grahan. Shieldbearers Tim Shorts, Frank Turfler and Ray Otis. Torchbearers Brian Miller, Jeffrey Collier, Spencer Game, Jason Hobbs, Richard Fraser, Matt Jackson, Darren Green, Glenn Robinson, Edwin King, Peter Skeynes, Christian Richards and Vance A. Thank you, all of you. And thank you, the listener, for honouring them with me. Hi, Che. Oh my gosh, that was a wonderful episode. I actually have a couple minutes left, but I had to stop and comment because I love what you said about it being important to teach your kids how to game. It's so true. They need to learn to use their imagination. They need to learn to think outside the box. And they need to understand the importance of just relaxing and expanding your imagination at least once a week, if not more often. I really, really enjoyed this episode. My husband told me about your podcast, and he told me about this episode, too. I also heard a couple comments that you left on the Happy Whisk, and I'm very happy to find your podcast. I hope you have a great day, and I look forward to listening to more. Hey, Che. Great Dungeon World episode. I think Dungeon World should be required reading for all game masters, even if you don't play Dungeon World. I just really love the principles of Dungeon World. The playbook concept is totally cool. I think there should be more playbook-style character sheets for every game out there. And now that Pandora's box has been opened, when are you going to tell us about Castles and Crusades? You've been going on about how that's your new game of choice for your players. Let's hear more about it. Two call-ins there. One from first-time caller, Liren. Thank you so much for calling in and your very kind words. I don't know 
which episode you're listening to i presume one of the early ones but um oh so thank you so much for calling in it really lifted me this week actually i i kind of like really am having some imposter syndrome problems right now and like writing recording is proving difficult so thank you for calling in and, and that encouraging word thank you so much liren and uh frank awesome glad you enjoyed dungeon world stuff i enjoyed recording it uh Yachai is it's fantastic to talk to you and i hope to get him on again actually just to have a natter because he's great yeah and pandora's box and castle and crusades what a good idea um don't be surprised actually maybe i could talk about castle and crusades a bit um episode coming soon let's say that cheers guys thanks for calling i hope you've enjoyed this episode of roleplay rescue if you ever want to get in touch, ask questions or share your point of view, you can leave me a voice message. Just download the Anchor mobile app, search for Roleplay Rescue and tap on the messages button to leave yours. You can also drop comments onto the Roleplay Rescue pages on MeWe or Facebook. Just search for Roleplay Rescue on those social media platforms and you can follow the pages with an easy click. You can also email me via hello at rpgrescue.com Finally, don't forget that you can find us on Patreon patreon.com forward slash rpgrescue I'm Che Webster Thanks for listening I'll be back next weekend with another episode of Roleplay Rescue Game on